a podcast one production. Here we go. Okay. <coughs> Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. <laughs> La. <laughs> La. Have you been watching It's a Sin? Yes, I finally watched it. Oh, and it's... did you finish it? Yeah. Yeah, I went on the whole oh. roller coaster, start to finish, and like you said, it just rips your heart into rips teeny tiny little pieces. Out. Yeah, it is just. Sorry, guys. Before we start the show, we're just gonna have a little <laughs> chat about it's a sin. Go and watch it on Stan. Um, it is just gut wrenching, and you know what? moved me so much about it is that it reminded me so much of us when Mm. we were kids because it's about a bunch of 18-year-olds who all pretty much met at drama school, like they're studying theatre or whatever. Mm. They move into a shitty share house. They just go out and have fun. They've barely got any money. They're studying and working and young. And I was like, that was us almost 20 years ago. Like Mm. we started drama school in 2005 and that was them 20 years before that. Yeah. Exactly. So really, we can remember back to when we were that age and that's how, like, it it was just us. It just, it. oh, God, mm. except we didn't have to deal with this deadly disease killing half of us. Mm. Which obviously makes us incredibly lucky um, that yeah. we didn't have to deal with that. And, I mean, I learned so much from watching It's a Sin mm, because it was almost like all of that had already faded into obscurity in the space of a mm. decade. It had all just sort of been brushed over in a way. So I've got a lot of um, self-education to do to get to know a bit more about it. But, oh, my God, the Colin storyline, that was Colin, the one that Colin, that's just exactly broke what I was about me. to say. Colin, <laughs> Colin. Oh. And then Colin's mum, yeah. like, becoming part of the little crew and... Oh, the um the main thing that a lot I because I went on like this total deep dive, like you know, looking into Russell T Davies, the guy who created the show, and all the actors and stuff. And um, they all recommend that you follow this Instagram account called the AIDS Memorial. Have you started following? No, it? no. And it's just an Instagram account that every day posts, or maybe a few times a day. I, I haven't looked at how frequent it is, but a photo of or a series of photos of someone who died during the height of the AIDS pandemic or someone who has died of AIDS since, and then tells their story in the caption. Like, so people send in photos of their friends and remember them and how they knew them. And it is just all these incredible, heartbreaking stories just filled with all these, you know, predominantly uh, men and predominantly very young men Mm. who all just got, taken by this awful virus Mm. and um it's oh it's such a good instagram account it's so fascinating hearing about their lives back then and and it's called the aids memorial okay i think it's called the aids memorial i think that's right following now yeah so it's a sin oh my gosh you guys you've got to watch it Mm. i oh it is one of the best tv shows not just that I've seen in a while, but that I've seen ever. Mm. It's just so beautifully done. And even though we're talking about, you know, it's a show set in the 80s about a lot of people dying, it's also so funny. Mm. It is one of the funniest shows I've watched in a while. Like, And I was reading that Russell T Davies said um, it was important to him that humour was a huge part of it because there's no point, you know, having a show like this that looks into the lives of these kids and it's just, you know, dreary and awful and traumatic the whole time. They mm. did have normal, regular, fun lives. And that's what I think makes the impact 
of the tragedy so much more. Mm. It's just... Yeah. And Keely Hawes, who plays the mother, Keely Dawes, Keely Hawes, I think it's Keely Hawes, the um, uh, mother of Richie. Oh. Oh. She's she's brilliant. Yeah, very very skilled she's actor. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, I fell in love with the character Jill so hard. Oh, she's an Jill, absolute Jill. saint, um, and mm. so incredibly well written. And yeah, like you said, it's a real emotional roller coaster because yes, it is so tragic in some parts. It's so inspiring in some parts, and then it's laugh out loud hilarious. Wait till you see what someone does to Margaret Thatcher towards the end. <laughs> of this series but yeah it's such a great recommendation thank you so much for telling me about that ah you're welcome okay so um all right yes now start the show from now welcome (laughs) to the actual episode of just the gist a weekly-ish podcast in which rosie waterland and i jacob stanley give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party and Miss Waterland, it's your turn this week and I don't know what you're doing, but I could guess. You don't know because I was going to do, okay, and I don't want to disappoint you all. I was, and I, normally I wouldn't tell you what I was going to do if then I'm not going to do it <laughs> mm. because then you'll be devo. Mm. But I was going to do Free Britney. Mm. But, but <laughs> the only reason I'm waiting, the only reason I'm waiting is because it was announced that a documentary all about Free Britney is being has been made by the New York Times mm. and it's being released starting next week. And so I really want to watch that first. Uh-huh. And if anybody else wants to watch that as well, please do. But I just thought, what if I do this episode on Free Britney and then this documentary comes out and, like, I've just missed so much or not. Like, I just want to watch this documentary first because there hasn't been any documentaries about it yet. Mm. So that's why I'm waiting. Fair enough. So You're excused. Yes. So this week I'm doing one that's a bit rando and I don't even know what to call it. I will just say that it is the story of one of the most, how do I even, <laughs> I haven't come up with a name for it yet. I'm sorry. I, it is the craziest survival story I've ever heard mm-hmm. of a boat sinking. Okay. Okay. Should I ask for more information now or just wait? Um, let's do breaking news first and then we'll go into okay, it. Okay, cool. Okay, okay. <gasps> breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. See, extra, extra. Read all about it. Breaking news. Okay, oh, God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> GameStop, GameStop, GameStop. You're all messaging me about GameStop. You want this in breaking news, the GameStop thing? Okay, look, you asked for it, so I'm giving it to you, but I don't know if you're going to like it because it's just essentially complicated, boring mm. money stuff. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> last week things went haywire in, like, the uh, stock exchange investment world Mm. because a bunch of people on Reddit banded together to kind of screw over some billionaire hedge funds. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made a lot of people go, wait, like, the stock market is just all kind of theoretical and imaginary and the people can just band together and manipulate it. And it's like, yes, that that is essentially what the stock market is. Mm-hmm. So I will explain to you what happened as best I can. 
okay? <laughs> I'm giving you just the gist, though. It is probably a lot more complicated than what I understand and what I am telling you. So FYI, here we go. So GameStop is a shop in the US that sells video games. It's a chain of stores, kind mm -hmm. of like EB Games here. Mm -hmm. But obviously because uh, gamers now um, pretty much download games, they don't buy physical versions of games anymore, the same as like DVDs and stuff. Mm. So GameStop has not been doing particularly well as a chain of stores. Mm -hmm. And so the stock of GameStop has gone down in price. It's just not that valuable anymore. Like the, co the company is losing value. And so a bunch of billionaire hedge fund bros decided to do something called short the stock of GameStop. So that mm -hmm. basically means instead of buying stocks in a company that you think are going to increase in value, like you buy stocks in Apple because you buy it for $5 today and it'll be worth $20 in a few days and then you make money. Mm -hmm. When you short a stock, it means you buy, you bet that a company will do badly, that the stock will go down. And I will explain to you now how that works. Please do, so, because this is the bit I cannot yeah. wrap my head around. Yes. So, and same. And I always, whenever I'm trying to figure out how to give just the gist of something that I really don't understand, I always break it down. But what is the actual bit I don't get? What is the bit I don't get? What is the bit I don't, this is the bit I, that I didn't get. So I looked into it. So, and also I once spent half a day watching The Big Short until I understood it. So I already felt like a semi-expert. <laughs> so when you short a stock, this is what you do. A, an investor owns a lot of stock of GameStop, right, mm -hmm. which isn't doing that well. And you think, okay, I have a feeling that GameStop is going to crash, so mm -hmm. I'm going to borrow all the GameStop stocks from the person who owns them. And when I borrow them, they're worth $10. Mm -hmm. So then I sell them all for $10 and then the price of them plummets and I buy them all back for $2. So then I've made $8 profit and then I give it back to the person I borrowed it from having made $8 profit. <laughs> Still don't get it. Oh, okay. Well, that's the only way I know how to describe <laughs> no, you it. Did, I, do, I think I just need to picture it a little bit more. So, how, how does the borrowing go? So how do you it's borrow? Just, okay, so this, this is what I mean. People are like, I don't get it. Why? It's like because the investment world has no rules. They just make up all their own rules. They do what they want. Like you think it is like this genius thing that we don't understand because it's so complicated. It's actually not that complicated or genius. It's just that all these rich people just make up arbitrary rules to help them make money. So mm -hmm. basically a person has these stocks and you borrow it from them and, like, the uh, rule is you can borrow them for a week and mm -hmm. in that week you can do whatever you want with them to try and make money and then you give them back to the person you borrowed it from having made or lost money. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's what if you are hoping that the company will do badly, you borrow all the GameStop stock from this company, you mm -hmm. then sell it for $10, the company stock crashes, you buy it back for $2, so you've made $8, and then you give it back to the person you borrowed it from. And I'm pretty sure if you make a profit you share a little bit of that with the person you borrowed it from. So they're getting a little okay. something for it. 
Okay, cool. So they're right, like, yeah, so you want to borrow this. You want to borrow this and play with it and take all the risk and maybe make some money, go for it. But you have to give it back to us in a week and if you've made a profit, we get a little bit of it because we didn't do anything mm-hmm. except lend it to you. Okay, so, I mean, it's a bad thing to do, right? People well, do it, Well, I mean, it's-, it's shitty because you're you're hoping that a company will fail. Like the most mm-hmm. famous example of um, shorting stock was back in 2008, which is what the movie The Big Short is about, where only a couple of hedge fund billionaire managers, like hedge fund managers are people who just do all this investing stuff, predicted Mm. that the housing market was going to fail and all the stocks um, and investments in like mortgage lenders and banks were going to plummet. And so uh, it was only a couple of hedge fund managers were like, I am betting that all these bank stocks are going to fail. And everyone said to them, you are crazy. And they're like, okay, fine. And so everyone was just letting them short this stock going like, you are going to fail and when you do, you're going to owe us all this money from stuff we've let you borrow and blah, blah, blah. And then it did happen. And so when the 2008 housing crisis, financial crisis happened and most people lost billions, there were a couple of people who made billions upon billions of dollars because they had bet that it was going to happen. Right. So it's not, Uh I mean, it's not bad. It's just like, oh, you're kind of making money off other people's despair. But, you know, if you're smart enough to do it, I guess, I mean, I'd probably do it, TBH. (laughs) So what happened was, I mean, that's the complicated side of it, whether you get it or you don't, uh, it's complicated, look into it. But what happened was last week all these hedge fund people started suddenly shorting GameStop stock. So they started Mm -hmm. betting that the shop, the video game store GameStop was going to fail. And then all these nerds on Reddit who are part of like this investing Reddit thread started saying, hey, all these billionaire hedge fund managers are betting that GameStop is going to fail. Screw them. Let's all band together and buy as much GameStop stock as we can because that will push the stock price up. So as soon as the stock price starts going up, for people who bet that it would go down, they start losing, 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 losing money. And so mm-hmm. basically it was like regular people were like, let's screw over the billionaire fund managers. And so then mm-hmm. it, it then it just started snowballing. First the people on Reddit did it, then regular people did it, then everybody started buying stock in GameStop. And a couple of the hedge funds that had bet that GameStop would fall and had shorted the stock mm-hmm. went bankrupt. Like... Mm-hmm. Hedge funds with hundreds of millions of dollars went bankrupt because of what these nerds on Reddit did. Mm -hmm. And then the big controversy is the companies who were, like, in charge of letting people buy, like, regular people buy stock in GameStop suddenly stopped it and said, we're not letting anybody buy stock anymore because you're manipulating the market and it's not fair to the billionaires. And then all the regular Mm -hmm. people were like, F you. Like, we just outsmarted them at their own game like Mm, let us keep buying them like and they were like no no this is like we can't we've got to put so they basically like banned people from buying GameStop stock because they're like you're messing with the market and it's like but this is just what the market is sometimes Mm. you win sometimes you lose we figured out a way to beat them and so now all these billionaires are kind of like oh my god the pores have figured us out 
they figured out our game, they figured out our <laughs> rules, like, and they, and so it was kind of like this realization where all these regular people were like, we can be part of the stock market too, and we can, if we band together, actually make mm-hmm. some money. There was an example of one like six-year-old kid whose grandma had bought him six dollars worth of GameStop stock for his birthday a year ago, and he ended up with like fifty grand. Like it just. <laughs> But I mean, and so I guess the thing is people are just saying like now all the hedge fund people and all the people on Wall Street are saying we need to put in rules to make sure this never happens again. And everyone else is like, no, why should we? There shouldn't be rules Mm. like the stock market is technically open to everyone. And just because we outsmart you, like get effed. So that's kind of what them, I think. Yeah. With, With who? The billionaires or the people? Oh, definitely the billionaires, those poor, poor yacht owners. <laughs> they couldn't have seen this coming. No, I think for the people it's, um, you know, obviously this will potentially be something that we look back on in years to come as something that had to happen at some point yeah. so that then better, more ethical rules could be put in place if something like the stock market is going to exist. I will tell you, of course, the Anons, have started taking credit uh, for this already. Love it. And so this is now a new chapter in the QAnon saga that they're calling this <laughs> the Great Reset. Um, and this is going to cause a global crash, which then um, sets the stage for Trump to reemerge as emperor of the planet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they've, they've attached themselves to this immediately. Um, but you explained that really well, actually. Oh, I hope so. I don't know. It was a little convoluted, but um, it's it's, yeah, I think... The, the whole concept of how shorting stock works is very complicated, but the essence of why people are interested in the story is actually quite simple. It's that regular people suddenly figured out how to use the stock market and billionaires who for years have wanted it to be unregulated so they can just be like pirates getting money and having no rules and doing whatever they want and now like suddenly we need rules to protect us and keep them out. And it's like, oh, you want mm. rules now that you're losing. Ah, interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, it's interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with it all. Yeah, this is just the beginning, right? Like this is going to... Well, yeah, I mean, it happened last week. It's the guy who uh, put the ban on people buying stock through his company. He's a guy called Robin Hood. Like the company's called Robin Hood. The ban is still there. So people are unable to buy it through his company. Other people like Elon Musk have stepped in and said, let the people buy the stock and it's like, well, you're a billionaire, like shut up. Um, but <laughs> I just hate him all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens from here. Mm-hmm. But it's just cool. kind of like power to the people, woohoo, et cetera. <laughs> I still don't really understand the stock market, but, yeah. Okay, the next thing we need to talk about in breaking news is um, – <laughs> Pretty much everyone had a theory about what the noise was in the background of our episodes last week. (laughs) Because I didn't I didn't mention it until about halfway through the second episode. Oh guys, by the way, sorry, someone's whippersnappering outside of Jacob's house. And first of all, people were like, it's not whippersnappering, it's whippersnappering. I was like, okay, sorry, whatever. But um some people thought someone was pulling a bong. <laughs> I was like, that's a very specific thing to think it was. That was my favourite theory by a long shot. Some people thought Boo was snoring. Like 
some people said they stopped their car because they thought there was something going on with their car while they were driving. Yeah, they were turning so. their devices off and on again. <laughs> it was uh, obviously sorry, it was far more obtrusive than we even realised, but, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry, everybody. I hope <laughs> so it won't happen happens. again. Um, it happens. I'm not going to tell you what it actually was, though. I like to keep the Wasn't mystery Wasn't it a alive. whippersnipper? Maybe, maybe I thought not. it was a whippersnipper. Oh, come on, tell us. <laughs> I never said it was a whippersnipper. Was it a vibrator? <laughs> Jacob. I'm going to keep the mystery alive What are you alive doing while, while we're longer. recording? <laughs> what are you doing just out of screen? <laughs> you can't see my hands. You dirty boy. Oh, sorry, I didn't mention that documentary. It's called Framing Britney Spears. Oh, okay. Okay, oh. Another thing, I don't think I've been tagged as much as I was tagged in this one video in my entire life. Um, that hilarious woman on TikTok called Caitlin Riley, who does all those great videos where oh, she yeah. pretends to be a wasp mum and stuff. She did a video last week called That Girl at the Club Who Won't Stop Talking About Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear to God, it's really funny. She's like, she's pretending she's in a club and she's like, oh, my God, you know the Titanic? You know how many people died? So sad. And like, anyway, it's funny. I, I think I got tagged about 2,000 times in it. Like every <laughs> single person in the world who knows me was like, Rosie, this is you. It you. Lol. It Rosie. Ha <laughs> ha. Rosie, it's you. Rosie, Rosie, it's you. It's you. Yes, it's very funny. And it probably is me. <laughs> Artifacts and such. Artifacts and such. And I don't think there's bodies <laughs> down there anymore, but like, Bones. There's, I think there's bones, which was inaccurate. There's not. The water pressure is at a point where bones disintegrated many, many years ago. Uh, just point, of you course, know. she's issuing corrections. She's issuing corrections. She's cor- got the red out. Because <laughs> I am that Titanic girl. So, yes, thank you for tagging me. It was very, very funny. Can I just say, as we were cleaning up your house, I found, after we thought all the books and everything had been cleaned up, I found a whole stash of another eight Titanic books (laughs) hidden away somewhere. (laughs) That's so funny because your mum also sent me a photo of, like, a little Polly Pocket doll she'd found wedged behind a bookcase. So I love that those are the things. (laughs) Polly Pocket dolls and Titanic books. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, shall we finish up? Okay, so I, I, yeah, I don't know how to describe this one. Look, normally I would give you a bit of a taste of where the story is going, like at Mm -hmm. the top. Um, But this one is just so crazy. Like, I think to reveal anything up front, it just feels like the wrong way to do it. Like, I think you just need to experience this crazy story as it unfolds. But Mm -hmm. I will say that a boat sinks, people die, there's shark attacks, there's being stranded in the ocean, there's people getting delirious and acting like zombies. Like, buckle in. This is a wild ride. (sighs) Are you ready for this? I'm actually really keen for this. Yeah. I just thought let's do a fun, crazy weird survival story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's October 1982. Oh, I thought this was going to be like pirate era, the 1600s no. or 1700s or something. Oh, this is closer to like the Ruby Princess type boat. Yeah, this is like shoulder pads, wham, 
Princess Diana just got married, I think. It's all around then. It's all happening. 80s. Oh, okay. So here for okay. this, yes. So a billionaire who made his money in the rubbish business uh, but has just bought an 18-metre luxury yacht and named it the Trash Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As billionaires do. I remember, I was reading that it was called the Trash Man and I was so confused. I was like, I bet whoever bought that, like, owns a rubbish collecting company, and he does. Uh-huh. As billionaires, you know, tend to do, he bought it, I think, without really knowing what the hell to do with it. He didn't know how to sail it. So he hires a crew to sail the yacht from where he bought it in Maine to where he lives down in Florida, which is kind mm-hmm. of like going sailing from, I would say, Brisbane to, like, Tasmania, uh-huh. or, like, all that way. It's quite a long mm-hmm. way. It takes about six days. So there's a captain, a guy called John, and there's crew members Mark, Brad and Deborah, plus Captain John brings along this new girl he's dating called Meg. Mm. And they're all in their, like, mid to late 20s. They're all pretty experienced sailors. Deborah especially had just the year before been the first woman to win the Whitbread Round the World Yacht Race, which (laughs) sounds like something only very rich people called, you know, tipsy and... And Gordon Rambunctial Pitt do. (laughs) The only one who doesn't know anything about sailing or has any experience is Meg, the captain's girlfriend. She's, like, pretty much never sailed before. She's just there for the ride, for the fun. Because it is a really fun thing to do. And this kind of thing is often how experienced sailors would make money when they weren't racing. Like, people hire them to just, can you take my yacht from point A to point B? Like, that's yeah. the, can you crew my yacht for this whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this particular trip, like I said, it was going to take about six days and you sail and it's beautiful and you swim and you chill. Like you're pretty much being paid to just be on a luxury yacht for six days. It's mm-hmm. good gig. But Deborah immediately notices that things aren't ideal. The yacht just doesn't really seem to be kitted out properly. It just all seems a bit dodgy. Also, Captain John seems lazy. He just kind of wants to hang out with his girlfriend, Meg. And Mark, one of the other dudes, he just wants to get pissed and party. Like, he's just drinking all the time. So she kind of feels like she and Brad are the only ones who are like, yes, we can have fun, but also sailing is serious and dangerous and we, you know, need to just keep our wits about us. Mm. But then she's like, you know what, it's six days and it's good money. I don't have to sail with them ever again after this, so just get through it. Mm-hmm. And I will say at this point that Deborah survives all of this. I won't tell you if anyone else does, but this whole story is pretty much told from her point of view because she went on to write a book about it and there was a couple of, like, Lifetime TV movies about it, mm-hmm. one starring Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> I was I know. thinking about her just yesterday and I used to love it so much when she would get called out on other shows for how terrible she was as an actor. Aww, <laughs> bless her heart. She did her best. It's just remarkable that she just continued to get work I know, time and time really again. Did. I'm not surprised that she ended again. up doing Lifetime movies. And do you remember in... I think it was the 2000s where she and Joey Lawrence did a sitcom called Melissa and Joey and it was basically just like two washed up sitcom stars like maybe if we do it together people will watch they didn't <laughs> I'm going to hunt that down because I yeah. actually Melissa really and Joey want to see that. 
Love. So um, I watched Deborah tell this story on this amazing cheesy show called I Shouldn't Be Alive. And you mm. know I love shows like this. I watch them all the time. Um, I watched it in Australia on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So the first night they're out in the ocean, a storm hits, which was unexpected because it wasn't on any one of their printed out weather predicty things that they had. Because this was 1982, so nothing was computerized. Like before you leave, you print out your weather predictions, you print mm-hmm. out your... Um, stuff and you take paper versions with you. The mm-hmm. waves are like 40 to 50 feet high, which I looked up, it's about 10 to 15 metres. Mm-hmm. Deborah said it feels like, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You go up and up and up and up and then you drop. And you know that feeling when you drop, it's like your stomach doesn't drop as quickly as you mm-hmm. and you get that, yeah, like... Um, and storms, she said, are often quite fun for experienced sailors because it's like, you know, a bit different. You challenge yourself. It's like breaks up the monotony. But Mark is super drunk and she's like, he's up on deck howling like a cowboy, having the best time. Captain John's also a bit drunk and he's brought his girlfriend Meg up on deck and then she fell over because she wasn't used to being on, you know, Mm. in conditions like that. She hurts herself really badly. She's screaming in pain, but they can't really figure out where she's hurt herself or what's happened. And Captain John is like, okay, we should probably try and go in to shore tonight at least because Meg's hurt, but then he goes and checks and he hasn't actually brought any maps for this particular part of the coastline. And Deborah's like, oh, my God, you were so unprepared. Like, she's like, this Mm. is just, I'm really regretting doing this. And then the yacht's sails rip off in the (sighs) hurricane-level wind. And so yachts have an engine, but it's really only powerful enough to sort of, you know, drive you from a dock to somewhere. Like you're not meant to use a yacht's engine out on the ocean. And so Captain John is like trying to get the engine to start, but it overheats. It doesn't work properly. It's a crappy engine, which is another thing he should have checked before they left, but he didn't because he's a crappy Mm. captain. So now they have no sails. They have no engine. They need the engine to send out, like that runs the battery of the radio. So they need that to send out distress calls or whatever. Mm. And they're just floating in the ocean, in the middle of this storm, and Mark, the drunk one, is the one steering the yacht and Deborah said he's holding a bottle of scotch and laughing like a maniac and just having the best time. And Meg is still howling in pain. And so Captain John is like, okay, we need to call for rescue. Like, we better do it now because who knows how long the battery will last now that the engine has gone. Mm. But none of them really want to do it because they're all like, like apparently it's like a thing of pride among boat people. Like you get yourself out of your own mess. Like don't call mm-hmm. for rescue. Just call, but, but he's like, no, no, we've got to, we've got to. So he calls for rescue. And mm-hmm. then not long after that, this freak wave comes and they don't quite, normally the waves come, you ride them and then you go over the other side. But mm. this wave is so huge that they ride it, ride it. They don't make it over and it smashes into the yacht, smashes all the glass in the front of the yacht mm. and water just starts pouring inside immediately. They start taking on water fast. And Deborah's like, okay, I, this boat is going to sink in two minutes. Like mm. we need to get off this yacht. And mm. so they have a life raft that's in one of those pressurized plastic boxes. Like, you know, it kind of looks like an esky. And when you mm-hmm. push whatever button, it goes like and like a big airbag. Yeah. Blows up. Yeah. Like an airbag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And inside that, there's like food and a beacon and um, little machine that turns salt water into regular water. So if you, it basically is built for you to be on the ocean for a while. Mm hmm. 
And the only other thing they have is this little inflatable dinghy, one of those ones that kind of has the two, like, um, collar, like, air-filled tyre columns and then a little bit in between. And that little dinghy is essentially just the thing that you use to go from a dock out to the yacht. So you know how a yacht is usually anchored like 20 metres off the shore and then you get in your little dinghy, you go out Mm -hmm. to the yacht and then that's it. That's called a tender. Oh, is it? Look at Mm -hmm. you. Mm. Well, I'm going to keep calling it a dinghy because that's what I've written here and otherwise (laughs) I'll get confused. (laughs) (laughs) So... They all jump into the water. The crappy dinghy's um, there. And Mark is the one who's holding on to the life raft, like Esky Box. He jumps into the water. He manages to, like, pop it open. So, like an airbag, it, like, opens up. But then, because he's a bit drunk and the waves are, like, big and it's stormy, he a wave comes and he just lets it go and it <gasps> floats away oh, into the night. Oh, no. And it's pitch black oh. and it's gone. And so Captain John, Brad and Deborah are in the crappy little dinghy. And when I say mm. in, I mean on because it's upside down. So they're just clinging to the sides. And Mark swims over to them, having just lost the life raft. And then they're like, oh, shit, where's Meg? And they're all experienced sea people. So as soon as the yacht started sinking, they just went into autopilot, knew what they had mm. to do, jump off, try and get the life raft, get the dinghy. And then they look back over and they see Meg is holding on to the very last bit no. of the yacht that's going down, no. kind of like Jack and Rose at the end of Titanic. Like she's standing there like, guys, guys. And she's screaming and she's too scared to let go and she's in so much pain from having hurt herself earlier. Mm. And Deborah says the men just all freeze. They don't know what to do. And she's like, of course, because boss bitch woman, She's mm. like, fine. And so she swims over, like, because she's experienced in the waves and in the water, mm. so she knows, grabs her, pulls her back over to the dinghy. Wow. Um, just as the yacht completely disappears beneath the water. And so <sighs> it's pitch black. The water is freezing. The wind chill is even colder. There's crazy rain and wind and waves. They're worried they'll die of hypothermia, so they all get under the dinghy because there's, like, an air pocket in there. Mm -hmm. And they kind of just lay next to each other like logs, like, to sort of share body heat, and Mm -hmm. that's how they survived the night. And when they have light in the morning, the wind is still raging, it's stormy, but they decide uh, to flip the dinghy over to at least get out of the cold water. Mm-hmm. And they throw Meg in the dinghy first and they all clamber in and that's when they see for the first time just what her injuries are because her pants have all kind of come off. Mm-hmm. And they see that when she fell, wire from the rigging of the yacht had run along her legs and slashed them down to the bone in several places. Oh. Yeah. Which reminded me of like, you know, that's, have you seen Hereditary, that scene in the end of Hereditary with Tony Collette? No, I haven't. For people who've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. No, I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) Anyway, so she's got wounds all over her. And Deborah said she was heartbroken when she looked at her because she was like, those wounds are a death sentence. Unless we mm. get rescued in the next hour, like she's effed. Mm. But she doesn't say anything to her. She doesn't, she's already panicking so much that so she just leaves it. So Deborah and Mark um, jump into the water and they're trying to keep the dinghy steady because there's still a lot of waves and it's this crappy little inflatable thing. So they're like in the water holding onto the sides of the dinghy trying to keep it from tipping over. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and then Mark turns to Deborah and he says, stop kicking my leg. And she's like, what? And he goes, stop <gasps> kicking my leg. Mm. And she's like, I'm not kicking your leg. And then she moves away from him to prove she's not kicking his leg. And then he goes, I said, stop it. <gasps> but then they both look at each other and they're like, oh, you're too far away. And then she dips her head underwater and she said, I swear to God, it was hundreds of sharks, like more <laughs> sharks than I have ever seen in my life, like a swarm surrounding us. She said she'd never seen that many in one place before. So they scream like sharks and her and Mark scrambled to get into the boat and she said they were circling them like fins, mm. like mm. the fins were up just circling them, like hunting them. And so they're so scared the dinghy is going to tip at this point because they can't stay in the water to hold it because of the sharks. Mm. So they find this sort of bit of metal in the bottom of the dinghy and this kind of like metal plate that, I don't know, was part of something. And they're like, well, let's tie um, this to a piece of rope attached to the dinghy and put it in the water so it can sort of act like an anchor that will keep Mm -hmm. us at least steady on the water. So they tie Mm -hmm. this metal sheet thing. It's kind of the size of a dinner tray. Mm -hmm. They tie it to the rope. They throw it in the water. The second it lands in the water, Deborah said it was the biggest great white shark she'd ever seen, swam over, (laughs) grabbed it in its mouth and just started pulling them like a (gasps) tugboat. And so they're getting dragged (laughs) along behind this shark and then he starts swimming really erratically. They're like, oh, my God, he's trying to tip this boat over. Uh, and so they have to cut the rope. So they cut the rope. That goes. <laughs> I know. It's. I told you, it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. <gasps> so because they don't have that anchor, they can't get out of the water. Mm. The dinghy is just rocking precariously like Every wave could be the one that just tips them over. Mm. And so they float in the middle of the ocean all day and then they're into night two. And night two was torturous for a few reasons. I mean, they're freezing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, They haven't eaten or drank water for, you know, more than 24 hours now. Mm. And they keep seeing the lights of ships and a couple of them want to, like, try and paddle towards the ships, but Deborah's like, it's pitch black in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We can see them, but they cannot see us. Like, Mm. we're not going to get to them. Paddling towards ships will just waste energy that we don't have, like, because we're Mm -hmm. not eating, we're not drinking. Mm -hmm. And then it would rain and they were so desperate to drink, so they'd all, like, like tip their heads toward the sky and open their mouths, like trying to catch rainwater to drink. But the wind was so bad that it would just blow it. So none of the Mm. rain was actually getting in their mouth. So it's like getting taunted with a little bit of water on your tongue, but not actually getting to drink anything. Mm. Um, One of the, uh, Deborah said it was like um, God was spitting on us. (laughs) And so then they spend the rest of that night trying to sleep. But every time they'd get close to falling asleep, the dinghy would get bumped and they'd look in and see a fin in the water because sharks were, like, constantly bumping the dinghy all night, like, trying to, like, you know, I guess tip it over. I'm not sure. They stuck Um, with them for that long. Yeah. Just, oh. Was Meg still alive at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So Mm. the next day, things are looking very grim. It's boiling hot during the days. As cold as it is at night, it's boiling hot in the day. The sun is beating down on them. They're starting to suspect that that mayday call that they got 
put through just never maybe went through because they were like, if it did, the Coast Guard would have found us by now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're worried that maybe like the radio just wasn't working and that, but they're freaking out. The bottom of the dinghy is filled with like this layer of putrid water that's made up of blood and urine and pus from Meg's oh. wounds. Oh. And it smells. <laughs> And they're all in a lot of pain and they're all starting to get staph infections because the bacteria from the water is getting into all their wounds. <sighs> and Meg is pretty clearly dying of blood poisoning, Deborah says, like she's not in a good mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So things are not great. They're not ideal, Jacob. <laughs> um, survival instincts kick in at this point and alliances start to form. So mm. Deborah and Brad are down one end of the dinghy and Captain John, Mark and Meg are down the other and they formed mm. like these two little opposing groups. And Deborah said that she and Brad decided to look out for each other because they were like, we need a purpose. So if my purpose is to make sure you are safe and yours is to make sure I am safe, mm-hmm. that will give us some kind of motivation to survive. Yeah. And meanwhile, the other three down that end were just losing it. Like Meg is wailing in pain. She can't really move. John and Mark alternate between screaming and crying. So that's the dynamic as we head in to night three. Everyone's just feeling a bit delirious, exhausted, and Deborah and Brad are sleeping down their little section of the dinghy and they wake up in the middle of the night to see Captain John and Mark drinking seawater, like just (gasps) shoveling it into their mouths like they're possessed, crazed, just shoveling it in. And they're like, guys, stop, stop, you can't drink seawater because... Drinking seawater is the worst thing you can possibly do. It makes you even more dehydrated because it's filled Mm -hmm. with salt. It also messes with your kidneys and liver. It very quickly makes you delusional and you will end up dead. Mm. Um, And it's the most torturous thing because when you're stuck out at sea and you're dying of thirst, you're surrounded of water that you Mm. can't drink. But like Deborah said, it was like they had just snapped mentally and they were just shoveling it into themselves. Mm. And she's like, oh, my God, they are going to lose it which they do. So over the Mm -hmm. course of that night and the next day, Captain John and Mark start to completely unravel. They start talking to themselves. They're having full conversations with people who aren't there. They're reverting back to being like little toddlers. Mm. Sometimes they're behaving like animals, like literally growling on all fours. (laughs) They'll like cry and laugh maniacally, like within the space of 30 seconds. They keep convincing themselves they can see land. Like it's very scary. And Deborah says it's like watching a movie of crazy people, but she made a conscious decision to ignore it because she's like, if I'm arguing with them all day and constantly explaining to them, no, there's not land over there. Mm. No, you're not at your grandma's house. She's like, it'll just waste my energy and I can't. Mm. I need to conserve my energy. So she Mm. says she and Brad just had to sit back and watch as they just completely mentally broke down. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Captain John says, hey, guys, I'm just going to get my car. I'll be back in one second. (laughs) And he steps off the side of the dinghy. Oh, no. And they're like, dude, what the F? Get back in. And he swims about five metres away from them. Mm. And then he sort of, they can't really see him through the waves. And then they hear this blood-curdling scream. They see him jerk up and then he disappears under the water. And a shark got him. And that's when they realise the sharks haven't attacked us because they've been here the whole time like vultures. They're just waiting (gasps) for us to die. 
And they float there <gasps> for a few more hours in silence. Captain John's oh. gone. Uh, Meg is despondent because he mm. was her boyfriend, the only person she knew. Mm. Then Deborah wakes up later that day and sees that down the other end of the dinghy, Mark, who has also completely lost his mind, this is awful, mm. is attempting to or what looks like he's attempting to sexually assault Meg. So he's telling oh. her like, oh, ba-, like kind of like he's met a woman at a club, he seems to think in his mind. He's like, you know, mm. oh, I think you're so hot. You know, I wanted you from the moment you got on the yacht. Like I can make you feel good. Like let me do this. And and he's trying to untie her pants and Meg is just paralysed. She's got blood poisoning. She's practically comatose. And so mm. she's just sitting there still while Mark is like, acting completely bizarrely and so Deborah wakes up Brad she's like we've got to do something so they start yelling at him like stop stop Mm. and then he turns to them and he says yeah okay yeah yeah um I'm just gonna go to the (gasps) 7-eleven and get more beer and cigarettes and then he stands up steps off the side of the boat and (laughs) what happens next is petrifying because they'd got a taste of Captain John just a few hours before, like Mm. they were on it this time. The second he stepped into the water, he is grabbed, he screams, they pull him under. Deborah says the boat starts shaking like, you know, they're in a washing machine. The water Mm. around them is bubbling like a spa bath and it goes a deep red and they're like, oh, my God, like he's literally being torn to shreds directly Mm. beneath us. Mm. And after that, the sharks become way more brazen. They've got a taste. They've eaten two dudes now and they're like, they just want to eat more. So now they start actually trying to tip the boat over. Uh They're like going at it and banging it and trying and they don't know what to do. So they just... Yeah, they just all curl up and sleep. And that night, Deborah and Brad are woken by Meg, who is sitting up and alert, Mm. and which she hasn't been in days, and staring at them with her eyes really wide, Mm. growling like a dog. And they're looking at her like, what? And then all of a sudden, like a horror movie, she crawls on all fours, lunges at Brad (gasps) and starts clawing at his face and, like, screaming and growling like a zombie. Like Deborah said, it was like a zombie was attacking him. He pushes her off. And she sits in the middle of the dinghy just talking gibberish. Like Deborah mm. said, it sounded like she was talking in tongues. Like she's just going. Mm. And then she starts, um, you know, when you and I do that funny thing where we pretend we're a fetus, we like mm-hmm. float our hands in the air. So Deborah <laughs> said she kind of started doing that and she was just looking at, it was like she, her fingers were magical. Like she was just couldn't stop staring at them. Mm. And um Deborah was like, oh, my God, we're watching someone die. Like, she's dying. Oh. And so she's just talking to herself and acting weird. And Brad and Deborah fall asleep. Mm. And when they wake up in the morning, Meg is dead in the bottom of the dinghy. And then she and Brad are like, okay, we have to have this conversation. Mm. Oh. Is there any feasible way we can butcher and eat her? Because... We are starving. (laughs) And then they're like, we really can't, not because they can't, like, you know, morally or whatever, Mm. but because they're like, she died of blood poisoning, like to eat her body would basically. Yeah, she's toxic. 
yeah, it would be to eat something toxic. Mm. So they're like, well, we just, she's not edible anyway. So they decide, they also decide they need to get her off the dinghy because she's just, her flesh is rotting and Mm. she's poison. And so they um, take all her clothes off and her jewellery off because they think maybe her family will want them. Mm. And they have her naked on the edge of the dinghy. They say a few words. They said they say the Lord's Prayer and then they just gently roll her into the water and then they immediately, like, lie down in the boat because they don't want to see the sharks take her. But mm. about 30 seconds later they start hearing the flashing, like, uh, splashing frenzy yep. and so they know mm. what's happening. This is so much darker than I could have imagined it was going to be. I know. <laughs> this, do you understand now how I don't know how to name it? Like, I, I honestly don't know what to call it. Yeah, I don't know what I I'm going to title this episode. The survivors <laughs> of the trash man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the trash man disaster. Later that day, Deborah and Brad decide they need to try and flip the dinghy over because the water in the bottom is definitely making them sick. Like it's just mm. filled with bacteria, all that gross stuff. Ugh. And so they're like, you know what, we're at risk of sharks, but if we do it really fast, if we just flip it, the water will come out, flip it back, quickly get in, hopefully, you know, it's it, it's worth the risk because this water's going to kill us, this disgusting pus-filled blood water. So Brad is standing up on the edge of the dinghy and he's pulling it and as he's pulling it he falls into the water and mm. he doesn't have the energy to pull himself back into the dinghy and Deborah mm. doesn't have the energy to pull him into the dinghy and He's, like, screaming, help me, help me, the sharks. And she just is so defeated. She crawls over to the other side of the dinghy and is just staring at him crying. Like, she just doesn't know what to do. And um, then suddenly he musters the strength and manages to hoist himself in. Oh! Oh, I can't tell you how tense I've been for the last 30 minutes listening to this. I know. And he is pissed at her because he was like, we had this promise. We were going to help each other. And we've Mm. had this alliance for five days now. And the alliance, yeah, this is their fifth day there. And the alliance Mm. they've had just at that point collapses because he's like, F you, you just were going to let me die. And so then they move to opposite ends of the dinghy and they're like suspicious of each other. And it reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns and Homer are stuck in the log cabin and at first they really get along, but then by the end they're like at war and like hiding in opposite ends, like just staring at each other. That's kind of what they did, but on opposite Uh ends of the dinghy. And so they pretty much just sit there in silence and wait to die because the Mm. only thing that really had kept them alive until this point was each other. And then Deborah hears Brad say, oh, my God, Deborah, a ship. And she's like, there is no ship. Like, you're delirious. Stop going on about the ships. We're never going to get to them anyway. And he's like, no, Deborah, look, look, a ship. And she turns around and there is a ship, like, 50 metres away from them, this huge ship. And they start waving and this crew member looks at them like, what the F? And then all these other crew members come out and they're like, what? And so they like throw like a, you know, a, you know, the blow up tyre on the rope. 
the life raft. Life ring, lifesaver. Life ring, yeah. yes, that. Mm. They throw that in. Deborah just jumps out of the dinghy, starts swing, swimming towards it. Brad's like, okay, and he starts swimming towards it. They grab onto it. They are winched up onto this ship mm. and then they realise uh, from them talking that it's Russians, they're Russian soldiers, and they just lay them gently down on the deck. Mm. And I love because it was the 80s and they're American, Deborah's like, I realised they were Russian and I didn't even care. She's <laughs> 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 <Just> very sweet. <laughs> they were They were kind of hating each other at the time, I think. Um, well, the Cold War was still going on, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I think. I don't mm. know about dates of things. Do you know where they actually washed up? Like, were they still in American waters or...? Yes, they were. So they obviously survived mm. and um, they had gone about something like a hundred and some 140 or 50 kilometers out to sea. So mm. they'd, you know, and when you're in a yacht, you're generally pretty close to the coastline. And the reason the Coast Guard had not come looking for them is because somebody radioed from their yacht, forget the last, like ignore the last order. We don't need rescuing, like stand down. We've got it sorted. So what? They think that it was maybe Mark because he was the one who was angriest about the fact they were, like, giving in and asking oh. for help. <gasps> His yeah. male pride yeah. stopped them from being rescued. This whole thing could have been avoided if it weren't for yeah. his ego. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So Brad went on to become a boat captain and spent his career doing that and often sailed the exact same route that they had sailed. Deborah wrote a book about her experience called Albatross, the true story of a woman's survival at sea, which was like a hit at the time and she did mm. the rounds, like she did Larry King, she did all the shows. Um, she became a motivational speak, uh, speaker. Her book mm. was turned into the film Two Came Back with <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart and Jonathan Brandis, who was also a bit of a heartthrob back then. <gasps> I remember him, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's very, uh, his story is quite sad, actually. Jonathan Brandis. Oh. He was yeah. Sequest. Was that? He was in Sequest. He was also mm. in the um, original telly movie of It. The, oh. he was one of the kids in the first the one. Curry and one. yes, yeah. he was also in Sequest. The episode I watched of I Shouldn't Be Alive was filmed in 2005. Um, Brad was still a boat captain then, although I guess probably would have retired by now if these guys were born in the 50s-ish. Oh, for I sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Deborah died in 2012. She was 54. It's not revealed in her obituary how she died, but I did a bit of digging because I wanted to know and I mm. I you can you can find it if you look. Um mm. so I won't say here because I think you know her family kept it out of the obituary for a reason, but Right. Mm-hmm. But, yes, she died in 2012, age 54, which is very sad. That's very young. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of one of the craziest survival tales I've ever <laughs> heard. It would be really hard for anyone to top that. Yes, that was well, absolutely when I was, wild. When I was watching this on I Shouldn't Be Alive, I was just like, oh, they're sink and they'll be at sea. And, but just it just keeps getting... 
And then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then you're like, what? How is this? How can one more terrible thing happen? Like, it's just, oh, awful, awful, awful. Whenever I hear stories like this or watch movies with this sort of plot line, I'm constantly thinking to myself, okay, at what point would I just end it for myself? And I know that that sounds really morbid, but at some point pretty early on probably, I would have just tossed myself to the sharks. Dude, do you want to know what's more morbid than that? I know whenever I ask myself that question, 20 minutes in. Yeah. Like whenever I... (laughs) Whenever I watch things like The Walking Dead or disaster movies, or I'd be like, you know what? I'd just when would mm-hmm. I when would I give it all in, give it all up, and it would just be very very early in the piece. Let me tell you. Same. I'm just not a fighter like that. <laughs> me me either. I'm just like oh, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I mean, even just being in a boat in the middle of a storm is torture. If you've ever yeah. experienced that, have you? Well, I've been on a boat in, I get incredibly badly seasick. So I can mm-hmm. be on a boat that's even rocking the tiniest bit and it's torture. But I've been on a boat in extremely scary, rocky seas. Mm. And I think if I wasn't sick out of my mind, I would have been scared. But mm. I was just concentrating on the fact I was vomiting every two seconds. Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, big, big mess up. One time I went on a 10-day sailing trip around the Sundays and yeah. pre-internet kind of, so sort of similar technology levels. Um, my uncle misunderstood the weather prediction and so he parked us for the night in a bay that then just got hit straight on by a really wild storm. So the waves were like six metres and the boat was just being tossed around in this, like you literally, you could not move and where you were, like you'd just try to lie down in the bed and literally rolling from side to side in the bed all night long because you couldn't get up and move the boat until daybreak. And (laughs) even that, had I had access to some sort of firearm, I probably would have opted out at that stage. And that's without all of the um, septicemia and the zombies and the um, (laughs) threats. No, thanks. No, not interested. Not worth it. Bye. I'm Audi 5000. Mm. So, yeah, um, that's that. Hopefully by Friday I'll figure out what to call this bloody thing. (laughs) It's just nuts. Maybe I should call it that. Trust me, it's just nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you know why Deborah called her book Albatross? No. I figured it had some meaning about the sea. Mm-hmm. Do albatrosses survive? Albatry? Albatrossy? I thought they were just Are big birds who did big poops. Oh, I thought they were Get a fish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the education we'll look into system that. failed us. <laughs> we'll look into that. We'll look into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That was it. Wow. That was mine. I'm going to be thinking about that for days. Yeah, it's nuts. And go and watch the episode of I Shouldn't Be Alive. It's on Amazon Prime. It's series one, episode one. So they started with a biggie. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's really good. And the reenactments are a bit cheesy, but just very satisfying to watch. And uh, Deborah and Brad both tell the story, uh, like, you know, in as their 2005 selves and they're both very compelling storytellers so they tell mm-hmm. the story really well about what happened to them it's crazy 
I'm on board. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, love you and uh, see you again next week. Cheers, honey. Bye. Bye. Bye.